0: In t minus three, two, one, we begin the fun, touring our way through the NBA from that big, big apple to the place by the bay. Is your mind buckled in? Because it's time to begin. Seiko and his friends are doing it again. The Hang Time Podcast is the spot, so sit back, relax, because the show's about to drop. Welcome into another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. Seiko Smith, your host here in Atlanta sheltered in place as we all have been throughout the course of this coronavirus and the shutdown that has caused. But we have continued to try and find the best people, stories, and themes to talk about where basketball is concerned. And today we got one that I'm telling you, it's gonna knock your socks off when you hear his story and, and you realize what he's had to go through to get here. But Damian Lee of the Golden State Warriors, um, uh, you know, your breakout season this year, Damien. So kudos to you for all the work you put in to get here, man. Um, and first and foremost, how are you and your family doing? Uh, I know your mom and and your aunt are are nurses, registered nurses. So I know they're on the front line. Kudos to them for the job they do. Yeah. And uh, and how and how are you guys doing? How are you holding up?
1: Yeah. Um... We're good. Well, I mean, first, first of all, just want to say thank you for, you know, having me on, Um, you know, this, you know, your podcast is great. You know, you guys touch on a lot of, a lot of subjects and just try to, you know, keep people informed, you know, in the meantime, but, you know, family's good. Um, You know, me and my wife and my dogs are out here in the Bay, just hanging, trying to, you know, find <laughs> things to keep it exciting. And, uh, right. you know, my mom and the rest of my family is back on the East Coast, so. Right. You know, nothing, nothing too crazy, just, you know, just trying to enjoy every single moment.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Appreciate it. Um, how did, So with your mom and your aunt, you know, being on the front lines of this thing, man, what's that been like for you knowing that they're in the middle of this mix every day in something that's really unprecedented? It's been coming at us in waves. The information changes daily, but they've had to continue to grind away, at, you know, at the forefront of this thing.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, main thing is, you know, of course, just staying in communication with them, you know, whether, you know, they have patients, um, you know, that they, in a sense, come, you know, in direct contact with or whether they're talking to, you know, a, pa- a patient's family. So just trying to stay in communication with them about how they are for their being. Um, and then also just, uh, you know, just being appreciative of, you know, the life that we have and that I have two people in my immediate circle that, you know I've been sacrificing you know whether it's their time energy you know and sort of putting their lives on on the on the line you know for the past almost thirty years it's it's you know when I was younger, I really didn't understand what a nurse did obviously, you're in elementary school, you just think you know that's what a nurse does, but you know just hearing the stories um from growing up and then even until now, you know just very appreciative that they're you know giving their uh, hard work and uh, you know their their time to help save lives.
0: No doubt, no doubt. It's it's been amazing. Just you know, you realize how they, we they use that word essential workers. And like I'm realizing what's essential now. The things that I need every day, the things that are luxuries every day. Um, this for me, this thing has really grounded me. It's like it's given me a chance to step back and kind of examine my life and just what I do and my family. Like. I know everybody is hammering you guys all the time about basketball. Like, oh, when's the game, you know, when's the league coming? When, when are we going to get back to playing? But has it provided a, a chance for even players in the league to just take a breath and and recognize what's important to them and, and, and what is not as important? Yeah,
1: no, definitely. I mean, just like obviously the first couple of weeks were sort of, you know, out of the norm, not even just for us as players, but everyone in the world, um, you know, and guys are trying to, you know, do things to still, like, fight and stay in shape and, uh, you know, just try to pick up new hobbies. But it's like these are things now where we can, you know, take a step back and realize that, you know, we never take the game for granted and we never cheat the game. But while we have it, you know, we have to take full advantage of it because we never know if something like this could happen again or, you know, if you could have a career-ending injury. So I think this is just opening people's eyes to, enjoy the moment you know obviously us as athletes you know we travel a lot so you know we're away from our families for half of the year so just being able to reconnect you know find new ways to connect with your family or your friends uh, you know just trying to do that while we have the time so then you know once sports eventually comes back we can still have these little tidbits and these things that we did during quarantine that can carry over
0: right you damien i know that you have been through so many different machinations in terms of your career. You go, I'm I'm looking and going all the way back to the time, you know, you grew up in, in New York and then you make a transition from New York to Maryland at, at yeah. a pivotal stage for anybody that's trying to immerse themselves in that youth basketball culture and AAU and travel ball. What What was that like? just having to change lanes like that from something that was familiar that you knew to, and adjust to that basketball in that Baltimore area where maybe it's different from New York. Maybe you don't know the people that you knew in New York. You got to start over basically in terms of crafting a, a youth basketball career.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, even, uh, you know, dating back, you know, my basketball career started a little bit later than did most. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I played, you know, CYO. Christian League uh but mainly I was a I was a football player so I played in uh the PAL which is the Police Athletic League you know uh Mm. they 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 have that around a lot of cities and counties around around the state but it was like mainly football then you know moved down to the Baltimore area started to you know figure out basketball was kind of my thing uh I loved it a lot more and then just that transition of you know when you're in fifth sixth seventh eighth grade you know you're trying to come into your own you know you're trying to figure out what you like what you don't like um so you know going down to the Baltimore area for seventh and eighth grade was a complete shell shock to me but I think that that kind of you know started my story in which you know I've traveled a lot and used sports used basketball to travel to new places and always meeting new people and I think I kind of grew more comfortable in that being in a new environment, you know, just feeling more comfortable and knowing who I am, knowing what I bring, knowing what I deserve.
0: Hmm. That's what was the, what was the biggest culture shock for you? You know, going from, from New York to Baltimore. I I, I grew up in my hometown and lived in the same place from the time. I was a little kid all the way till I left for college. Like I started thinking about what kind of a shock to the system that could be just, just for on a human level, just from like you said, seventh and eighth grade, that's like the most, one of the most formative times in your life when you're developing your personality and figuring out, you know, what kind of person you're going to be. And then you, you shift to a completely new place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, obviously just, you know, there's, there's clicks, you know, there's clicks when you're in middle school, you know, the cool kids, the, right. the quote unquote nerds, the athletic kids and, I really didn't have like a clique or anyone, you know, just being the new kid. So just trying to feel things out. And then, of course, I mean, I know I'm not the only person, but, you know, it's tough when you're a new kid and you don't want to, you know, rub anyone the wrong way. So, you know, you get in with, you know, a certain crowd and then, you know, those kids happen to get bullied and then you're in that bully group as, as well. And you're getting bullied and that emotional and physical, uh, you know, stress that you may have as a young kid you don't really know how to express yourself. So you start acting out, whether it's at home or, you know, taking things out on people that don't deserve it.
0: Yeah. So what did you, did, did basketball serve as not just, a, a, you know, something that you did, a hobby or whatever, or an activity, but did it serve as something more than that for you maybe at, at a younger age? You know, once you got started, did it become kind of that place you went to to, you know, to, to yeah. get away from yeah, all that was. other stuff? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was you know, growing up I always said it was my oasis, you know, just mm. be able to go there, be on the court, go out, shoot, and just, you know, be a way to get from get away from all the stress that was going on in life. And uh I mean thankful for, you know, my mom, which I kinda wish I would have listened to her when I was <laughs> when I was younger. She said, uh I was probably like six, two, playing like the four and uh, you know, I was one of the tallest guys in middle school. Mm-hmm. um at that at that time and uh she said to always work on my guard scale she's like you're not gonna be 6'11 you're not you're not gonna be kevin Garnett. <laughs> and i was like man whatever like like you don't know what she's talking about you know typical kid right <laughs> right you don't know what she's talking about i'm gonna be tall blah 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 well i uh, ended up still the same height up until my senior year of high school Mm-hmm. And I was not uh, I was not six eleven seven foot and then I had to transition to become a guard, uh, you know going into my junior year of of high school so that was my first time playing out on the wing, so you know just being able to use that use what my mom said sort of turn that motivation and that grind towards trying to become the best basketball player that I could be whether it was you know playing in the NBA playing overseas just using it as a way to get to college so I left with no debt.
0: Man, I'll tell you what, let me tell you, uh, in 40 some years of living, if I learned anything, it's listen to mom do I moms always yeah. know. Even if you don't find out till 10, 15, 20 years later, she was right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, so man. so you tell me when that moment, you know, because like you said, you you started later, you know, more of a late bloomer, I guess, in today's parlance. Yep. I mean, when did it when did it become clear to you? that basketball was going to be more than just something you did and then moved on to something else a little bit later. I mean, lots of guys play, very few guys, and I don't think people understand this, how few people on planet Earth get to become professionals at this. I mean, and I'm talking about around the world, not just the 400-plus guys in the NBA, but that's that's such a small number of people when you look at the the bigger picture. When did did it become clear in your mind that basketball would be, your
1: profession? Um, I'd have to say probably going into my so I went to prep school. I went to two different high schools. I went to prep Mm -hmm. school and my year at prep school I was actually uh me and Andre Drummond were actually on the same prep school team. Wow, right. So um, you know, just during the course of that year, uh, you know, I would get up every morning at six AM, classes would start at eight. I get up at six AM go to the gym, work out from 6.30 to 7.45, take a quick shower, go get breakfast, and then go to class. And it was literally – I went to St. Thomas More, seemed like the backwoods of Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So, like, that year really, like, instilled, like, a permanent grind. Like, I did it every – I did that every single day, Monday through Sunday. I mean, Monday through Saturday, the only day I took off was Sunday. But got up at six in the morning every single day and just instilled that same work ethic. And, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, one of my uh, – my coach was like, I just want you to know, like, you have a shot to make money and take care of your family playing playing this game. And I've been seeing that with your work ethic throughout this entire year. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, like, I know that I could play pro. I don't know if it was NBA, but, like, if someone would have told me when I was five or ten, like, oh, you're going to play in the NBA, I would have thought that they – like, no way. <laughs> like." Right. I was never one of those kids that was like, Oh, I knew that I was going to play in the NBA when I was three. It was like, yeah, yeah. it took a lot of trial and error and it took a lot of hard work. Despite the injuries, despite the moving, despite, you know, the mental, but you know, knowing that God always have my steps uh, ordered. And that's one thing that my mom told me ever since I was young, she was like, no matter what you go through, just know that your steps are ordered and, and as long as you continue to follow the path that God has provided for you, then everything will be fine.
0: Yes, yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. I know. I know. We we're kind of digging back before we get to to your Warriors days, and I know you mentioned the injuries tore both ACLs, had yeah. broken you know broken bones in both hands, right? Uh, broke my shooting hand twice. Wow, well, broke your shooting hand twice. I mean, and I know you know just from a physical standpoint, guys. When the body betrays you like that, and you you know, and it's no fault of anybody's that when you do that stuff, how do you mentally get back up and grind the way you did at, at prep school and beyond? Like, how do you find that that place where you go, "All right, I'm knocked down. I got to get. You know, it's time to start over again." And then find a way to sustain that. That's a that's an amazing thing to me. I'm always <laughs> struck by how you guys. Have that kind of adversity and then get right back to the grind.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, the first time I, uh, you know, tore my right ACL and meniscus, so I was, you know, non-weight bearing for eight weeks. That was that was by far the toughest, just because that was my first time getting surgery, my first major injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I after that year, I had intentions of, you know, trying to test my name with the waters after my junior year at Drexel trying to see what the NBA held, but it's like, I think that was when I realized that I can't try to make plans and make expectations for myself. Like, I'm just going to have to start going with the flow because I was in my head like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I felt, and I talked to my mom about this all the time, like God put me in a position where he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need you to get something else right in your life. I need you to get your friendships right. I need you to cut these people out of your life and once you do that like once you go through this hard time whatever is waiting for you on the on the backside is going to be there tenfold and I'll be able to really appreciate everything that I went through so you know going through the first ACL it was it was it was tough i mean but i started to you know use sort of tips and you know ideas from guys that pros like you know even you know rest in peace like kobe like how he would say that whenever he got hurt he would approach his rehab like it was a game. Hmm. So just sort of keeping that mind state like, all right, I know that as long as I keep up mentally, then the physical will get back, whether it's two months, three months, eight months, right. but just keeping my mental sharp, being able to, you know, stay locked in and know what the end prize is. Mm-hmm. I think that made the transition much easier. You know, the second time I went through, uh, you know, my torn ACL and you know, both times with breaking my hand. Well, Yeah.
0: This, so the, going to Drexel, what when you were making that decision? What was it about Drexel that appealed to you and, and made that the choice?
1: Uh, I think with Drexel, it was it was just the perfect fit. You know, I I wanted to be able to you know write my own story, and I didn't want to necessarily go to a high major school coming out just because there was, you know, a high major school and you travel charter. I wanted to go to a school where I could, you know, come in as a freshman, be able to develop and my game can, you know, learn and grow from, you know, the guys that were there before. And then whatever happens in four years, you know, I graduate and I get my degree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going to Drexel with Bruiser Flint, that was the perfect opportunity. There was the shooting guard who was starting from the previous season was out with the injury and he wouldn't be back until uh late December, early January. And it was basically me and another freshman had to duke it out who was going to start. And I mean, long story short, I just knew that it was someone else that was in my class. There was no ranking or no hierarchy and I wasn't going to let him outwork me.
0: He, I, I wonder too, given the way you came onto the scene, if the politics of basketball, I've talked to a lot of players who talk about politics. They One of my favorite things is when I hear guys talking about, players that they think were talented enough to make it, but for whatever reasons, political, otherwise, didn't. And I wonder how much of that you've seen throughout the course of your journey. When you, you know, you go somewhere, you show up to a camp or you in a setting where you guys can play. Like we, we get to see whose play dictates where they go and the politics yeah. come into play because you don't have that pedigree or you're not the blue blood, you're not the five star guy or you know the high profile player.
1: Yeah, I mean that 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 happens in every facet, even in even in the business world. Like mm-hmm. that stuff just happens, but there's there's always that constant drive of just wanting to break down barriers and break down walls. And uh, you know, one thing that one of my teachers told me in high school, um, which I still keep with me to this day, and I even spread the word to you know the younger generation. The number one thing in business, whether it's sports, whether you're a weatherman, a weatherwoman, a lawyer, an accountant is relationships. As long as you have those relationships and you keep those in positive and all in good standards, and maybe if a team can't use you or if a coaching staff can't use you, then they can recommend you to someone else. So, you know, even when I was going through this stuff with, with the politics and guys, whatever, getting drafted over me or getting picked over me, it was like, I know that I'm in good standard with all these people. And, you know, eventually hard work and perfect timing is always going to match
0: up. Yeah. And I know you played... Your, your last year of college at Louisville and, and Donovan Mitchell was yep. a freshman on that team, right? Yes, he was. So, yeah. My so young you, boy. <laughs> so you, you know, you you've been around this this ecosystem for years. It's not like the NBA was fresh to you or that you were somebody that other players didn't know. What was that what was that stretch like when you're battling through G League, you know, and and other leagues trying to get to the NBA? What was it? that kept you grinding away thinking, all right, you know what, this is cool, but I know I can play at the NBA level and I just gotta find the right fit. What was it what was keeping that fire burning in? Because it'd be easy to go you could have went overseas maybe and played long, you know, a long career overseas and made a great living a life for yourself there, but that NBA seems like that's that was always hanging out there.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean even, you know, from the first time I got hurt, the second time it, it was so it was always like I knew that in summertime, you know, whenever we play pickup with guys that I could hold my own a little bit. Mm. And I just needed, you know, the, either whether it was the right organization or, you know, the right front office or the right coaching staff just to believe in my game and my skill. You know, I, I, you know, pride myself on, you know, shooting and high IQ and knowing the game, being able to fit in any system. So, you know, just going out there and just, being relentless and aggressive and just having fun, like knowing that I'm going to make mistakes, but knowing that, you know, it's all for the betterment of the team and just trying to be successful. I mean, I've, whenever I try to, whenever I put my mind to something, I try my best to achieve it. And if I don't achieve it, then I'm going to try another way. But it's like, I'm never going to quit on a dream or a goal that I have because, you know, I know that there's things that I've gone through that have allowed me to get to this point, so I can't quit on myself, I can't quit on you know my mom or my wife or my family making sacrifices for me to you know chase my dreams
0: what you you mentioned that the sacrifices made I mean you have the amount of time it takes, obviously to do what you've done in your career is immense. I mean, is it is it just that time away that's the biggest sacrifice? Knowing that you're not there for the things that a nine to five lifestyle would you know allow you to you know weekends, holidays. I mean you know as well as I do that if you if you're in the NBA schedule, all that stuff is out the window because you never know you know what might come up or where you might have to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's 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 tough. I mean the the beauty of it, I think, is you know is I I don't go home as much. Um, you know, I, I'd rather whether it's fly, you know, my mom or my aunt or my wife. You know, I'd rather them you know come to me and know that you know they have a spot that they can come to, or whether we're in another city, you know, fly and meet at that city. So like my family's understanding of that, and we're all you know willing to make that sacrifice for each other, which I think that that started from you know the whole. Phrase of it takes a village to raise a child. You know, just knowing the people that have sacrificed for you, knowing that you do the same in return for them when you know you have the means.
0: Yeah. Now you you got your first opportunity, obviously, in the NBA with with Atlanta. Um, and yes, I know yeah. it, was, it, it was a it was a short stint, but you you made an impact. Obviously, you, you know it, it showed up. Do you think that just having that on film for for the league to see kind of gave you Maybe a, a, a finally gave you a calling card to be like, all right, now, you know, I showed you I could do this at this level, and the opportunities that came after that were based on that time you put in here when you were with the Hawks.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I'm, I tell people all the time that I'm, I'm always, I'm forever in debt to you know the Atlanta Hawks for giving me that first opportunity, um, you know, just allowing me to go out there and play. Coach Bud, I mean, he, he started starting me. I think it was like four games in while I was there mm-hmm. that was like the biggest shock for <laughs> me I'm you know I'm thinking I'm coming off the bench he's like yeah uh all right Damien so you're starting against uh Utah and I'm putting you on Donovan and I'm like okay so you know what I mean like it's perfect like it just all lines up the same way so you know just I knew that coming out of that that there was either gonna be like I'm a I'm a complete realist with mm-hmm. all this stuff so I knew that one of two things would come, out, would come out of the Atlanta deal. Either I'd get a non-guarantee with the team um, with a trigger date in January, or either training camp or January, or I'd be able to get on a two-way and be with the team for an entire year. And the opportunity uh, came up with Golden State to get in on a two-way. I was already familiar with the system being in Santa Cruz for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was it was it was a no-brainer.
0: So it's funny, you know, you spend two years in Santa Cruz with the G League and now we got these elite high school players coming into the G League. How do you think that colors that experience for guys? We they're gonna be dealing with these high school kids, I know they're blue chippers, I know they're top McDonald's All-Americans, all that stuff. They're gonna be playing against guys who are pros, like guys like yourself when you were there, like guys who are every bit as good as they are. But with a completely different motivation. It's not, you know, you come in with that chip on your shoulder, wanting to get to that next level, and prove the people you belong, and then you got a high school kid who's kind of had that five star magic carpet ride through the process up to that point. How how do you think that plays out for both, for the established players and for these kids?
1: Yeah, I think for the for the for the kids, it. Um, I mean, obviously, it just. I mean, it's definitely a quicker transition to uh, get them ready because. At the end of the day, like, you know, your high school, you know, these guys, top ten, top top fifteen, and they're all well respected. But, you know, playing against the G League, it's it's a lot of guys, you know, there's some D two, some D three, but like these guys go, go hard and it's literally every game in the G League is a dog fight. I mean, the good thing is, you know, offense is promoted, so there's definitely gonna be a lot of high scoring games. But it's like the G League is, is literally a dog fight every single night. Um, you know, the travel as well, you're flying commercial. So, you know, you may have, uh, you know, you may come from Santa Cruz and have to play in Sioux Falls. So you have to fly from San Jose to Denver and a two hour layover and in, in, in Denver and then Denver to Sioux Falls. So the travel's different. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it, but you know, for these kids, I mean, they're all going to have shots to play, whether it's get drafted first round, second round. So, you know, just sort of using this experience as a little humbling, because uh, you know that next year when you get to the big stage, it,
0: it's all dogs on this level. <laughs> yep, yeah, I'm I'm curious too about the 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 level that you realize you have to raise your game to when you get into the NBA. Um, I, you know, I I know everybody thinks they watch it and think, oh, you know, it's not that hard, or it's – you know, these these guys are, are blessed. They don't work at it. I realize how much work goes into it. I understand the grind that goes into it, but what is that like when you get that first, you know, breath of NBA air and realize, all right, like you said, it's all dogs up here. Anybody playing around when you get to that level?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, 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 it's tough, especially, you know, whether you're on a team with, you know, a lot of, a lot of older guys and, you're the rook and you got to go do all the rookie duties or even, you know, throughout the course of a game, you know, you may talk to a ref and they just call (laughs) you rook or they, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's that little, not, not, not disrespect, but it's like at the end of the day, when you're on this level, like you have to earn your respect and there's nothing that's going to be given to you, whether it, you know, guys, seeing that you're a rook and then picking you up 94 feet just because they want to instill some fear in you. It's like you're gonna always have to battle and prove yourself before you play those first 80. I mean, before you finish out those first 82 games.
0: Yeah. So for I, I know for you, you know, you still at the at the point where this is, you know, the, the this is the honeymoon stage of an NBA career when you're just getting cranked, but. Can you look back yeah. now, even now, and and pinpoint like when was basketball for you at its purest? Like, was it was it the grind getting to the NBA? Was it that work you put in, you know, in prep school? Like, when was it where where basketball felt as natural and pure to you so far in your in your basketball journey? Um, that's a good
1: one. Uh, I probably say my First year, either my first year in college or my last year in college. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, my first year, obviously, coming out of prep school, you know, being so bright-eyed and like, all right, I can do this, like, had a time management um, and knowing what sacrifices, whether if I wanted to, you know, go out, hang out, or if there was a workout, um, you know, just learning how to do those, obviously, factoring in 6 a.m., 7 a.m. workout. And then I think my last year of college when I really understood the entirety of it, like knowing what I needed to do to have the best chance of success for my future. And that was literally eliminating all distractions, like locking in, like just staying focused in on the season and knowing like if I wanted to party, like, I could party after the season. If I wanted to hang out and do all this other stuff, like, I could do that after the season, like when there's time for it. But right now, like I'm cutting off everything because this is what I want to work, and as long as I continue to do that, then uh, it's all going to pay off. Yeah,
0: the reason the reason I asked that is because when I talk to people, and certainly players and guys who have played at the NBA level, I'm always curious, like when, when, when was it, the way you described it, like when is it? Do you look back at it when you're done playing, when you're in your 50s, and say, "Oh, you know this, this you know stretch of my NBA career, whatever"? And it's uh, inevitably, it's always during the journey, it's always on the way up that guys say, yeah. the game feel pure to them." Does I, I know it's a business now? That's the other thing that you get exposed to once you leave college and get into the professional ranks is that the business of basketball gets thrown at you time after time. Um, what's what's the most jarring part of the business of basketball that you've experienced so far in terms of recognizing, you know, what it's it's not personal. It's not, you know, it's not about you know what your hair looks like or how tall you are. Or what you it's just business. Like at some point, yeah. the game hits you between the eyes and lets you know it's about just business.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, I th- so. I realized that it was just business when, so so when I was my last year at Louisville, we had Mm -hmm. a postseason band, so we didn't go to the NCAA tournament, which in turn, I I feel like that was one of the reasons why I wasn't able to get drafted because I wasn't seen on a big stage. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like the business of basketball kicked in during my year at the G League. It was middle of December, and I was close to getting a call up. There's between a couple teams. I'm not going to say names, but I was close to getting the call up, Um, and they took another guy because he had NBA experience, and I was a rookie. So it was one of those situations where I I realized like that this is a fraternity, and you know as long as you know you continue to be on good standing, and you're you know especially as a guy that like I would have been an end of the bench guy, 14, 15. um, Mm -hmm. You know, just as, as long as you still have that good repertoire around the league, then, you know, it's a, it's a fraternity, so they're most likely going to keep you in. So, you know, he got – the other guy got called up. He was on the team for the rest of the year. And then actually, I think it was like six days after that, that was when I ended up tearing my other ACL, and I had to restart this whole journey again um, for the second time. But I think that was, that was probably when I really realized that it was a business that we had identical stats, points, shooting percentages, everything. But I was a rookie and he was a guy that played in the league for a couple of years, but was down in the G League.
0: Right. wow uh, that's I mean that's that's a sobering thing too and and with the injury compound on it, I know it had to be tough. Um yeah. If if you look at all the different options you could have had potentially to get into the league, you you get in with, with the champs. Like you come in dealing with Championship organization, championship team—you know the Splash Brothers, Draymond Green, all this stuff. Kevin, you—you probably would have had different opportunities in terms of playing time, but I would imagine you—you're really glad that you came into an organization where you get to see it at the top rung, like you get to see it at its very best. I know it's been a tough season for, for the Warriors, where everybody knows about the injuries and all the other the way the team, you know, finished last season and had to reconstitute itself, but. Are you appreciative maybe a little bit more now than initially you might have been realizing that you got a chance to see it operating at that at, at that elite level the way it did?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, it, it
1: even, you know, just being a part of the playoff run last year, like that was my first time ever seeing any postseason um, besides my freshman year of college.
0: Mm. So
1: just seeing the postseason, seeing how guys were locked in, seeing day in and day out whether you know it was clay KD, steph like andre sean like these guys just coming in and getting a 15 minute workout in throughout the course of the season on the off day and being drenched in sweat like seeing what like a pro's pro does day in and day out um you know i'm very appreciative of it i mean obviously i wish the uh selfishly I wish the two-way rule was a little different and there was a chance to play in the playoffs last year but right you know everything happens the way that it's supposed to but I mean just seeing those guys day in and day out uh you know the way Steve you know Bob Joe Peter the way that they run the organization just like makes me more hungry and that's why you know coming into this season I really wanted to you know sort of stand on my own too without people thinking I was there for a crutch and show that I can belong. I mean that yeah. I do b- b- belong, not that yeah. I can.
0: No doubt. You I mean you you this was a breakout season for you obviously. Um you put up numbers, you you know, you you played minutes, all of that stuff. What was what was the most gratifying part about this season for you? Even a even a trying season for the team obviously, but was it just finally getting a chance to show that? You know
1: did yeah show I think uh, was legit yeah I think I think that just showing that uh you know as long as I'm you know healthy and continue to be durable, you know, can go out there and just play, and whether it's you know whether it's positionless, whether it's you know one two, three, whatever you know coaching staff or you know team wants me to do, just showing it, not even really showing it to the league, but just proving myself, and I think probably the most gratifying was uh you know. I broke my hand, my shooting hand in early November, it was out mm-hmm. for six weeks or so, and then came back and then had that uh huge Christmas game, which was which was definitely probably the biggest highlight um besides, you know, signing
0: the uh, extension. Right. Hmm. That's, this this is uh it's such a weird time too now when you think about the shutdown, like for anybody like yourself who was having momentum, you know, guys, like I think about Zion. And kind of how his season was cranking up. I think about Cam Reddish here in Atlanta, you yeah. know, a rookie who ha, you know had some tough, tough months to start out, but then really hit his stride right before the shutdown. That's everybody's talking about. They want basketball back, or they're sad about the season, this and the other. But like that's got to be the toughest. Thing. Anybody with with momentum that was trending up to get it snatched away when it when we did, you know, when the season did shut down. That's the part to me that really hurts because, like, I can imagine how you roll into an offseason if you finish up the way yourself and a lot of other guys who are playing well would have finished up this season. Um, and, and we don't know if we get it back, when it comes back. But how much of the the results and success of this season are in your mind right now in terms of your plot and your next steps and, and how you go about working this off season and building on what you did in a Warriors uniform this year?
1: Yeah. Um I mean my main thing is literally just to do that like I'm like I don't I don't get caught up in the moment and uh you know think about the successes, you know that are, that I've had this year. Obviously there's some high mm-hmm. points and even some low points, you know, but just try to stay as level-headed as possible knowing what it took to get here. And every summer I always, you know, look back on shots, look back on no shot selection, look back on shot prep, uh, defensive footwork, everything, and just try to add something else to my game. So for me, it's, you know, just taking whatever's happened before the season got postponed. And, you know, hopefully, you know, there's a, a point in which we can come back. But even looking forward to, you know, the next season, taking of what I did this past season and looking to build on that, Um, that better shooting percentage, better defensive rating, better offensive rating.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and uh, I, I was thinking about something I read where Clay Thompson was kind of shaking his head at this notion that the way you know people talking about the Warriors are done, the di- you know the dynasty's done. This I, those I would I would pay money to see training camp and off season workouts. You know the way the Warriors go about grinding. I'm sure it doesn't have to be spoken. I, I would imagine that you guys all understand the opportunity you know, that, that will present itself when you get a healthy roster back. And all these guys like yourself who got this valuable experience this year are added to, you know, uh, of the mix with, with Clay and Steph and Draymond and all these guys. Like, is there a collective attitude amongst the Warriors that, hey, you know, we, we, we're going to take everybody doubting us as, as an opportunity to prove to, like you said, not just to everybody else, but to yourselves that the Warriors are still – that elite team in the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there was a I mean obviously, you know, there was a kind of running thing this year where you know we were we were down and hurt, and you know, guys wanted to kick us while we were down. Um, I mean, obviously, as you know, there's as expected, you know. Um, but I think for for us, it's just having a lot of young guys, and just having guys understand, you know, the magnitude of you know, what's happened with the with the organization and the run over the past couple of years. So, you know, just having guys understand the uh, magnitude of it, just trying to lock in and, you know, know that, you know, whenever, you know, we come back and there's a full healthy team, that roles will be different. But, you know, guys just have to, uh, you know, fit in line and do, do whatever you can do to the best of your ability to help us uh, be successful. No
0: doubt, man. Listen, Damien, I appreciate it. Like I said, there's, there's so much to that story, man. And I, I'm going to continue to enjoy watching you fill it out. Um, you got, you got my guy, Jordan Poole from, I'm a Michigan guy. So you got Jordan Poole out yes, there with sir. you. So make sure you take care of him, man. Make sure you take the young fell under your wing, man, and keep him right. Um, I got you. And, and listen, we're, we're, pre- we're going we're gonna to see what the Warriors have coming back, man. Whether it's, continue in this season and certainly in the next season and uh, enjoy watching you do your thing, man. K- kudos to you again and, uh, and continued, you know, blessings on, on the hard work you put in and the journey you're on.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you, Seku. And, uh, All right. last thing, you know, just, just, just want everyone to stay safe and, uh, you know, just obviously this is a tough time, but just try to enjoy the moment with the people around you. Um, cause you know, this, this, this is only going to make us stronger as, as individuals and as a community. So just wanted to leave No off doubt, with
0: man. That. Thank you. Thank you, Damien. And, uh, you know, send our blessings and, and uh, well wishes to your mom and, and your aunt out there doing that work on the front lines, man. So important, so vital. Yes, sir. Gotcha. You. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Damien. Man, there's nothing like, uh, you know, a late bloomer, uh, but one of those ultimate success stories. Love talking to guys like Damien Lee. Um, and, and and what a what a spectacular time he's had just trying to get to the league, and now finally in that really good position with the Warriors, with a chance to see where it goes. You know whether we get a finish to this season or beyond. I think Damian Lee is is on some good footing in the NBA. We appreciate him. Uh, you know coming on here on the Hang Time Podcast during this coronavirus shutdown. Um, so you know certainly a guy we might not have heard from you on the podcast otherwise. So we appreciate the Warriors, Raymond Ritter and his staff, Brett Winkler, and all the hard work they do for uh, facilitating this and making sure we got a chance to connect with Damien and uh, his his mother and aunt doing that frontline work, battling this coronavirus during this global pandemic and, and shutdown is uh, is always going to be forefront at our minds here at the Hangtime Podcast. From our producer, Anthony Bonaparte. Who's- oh grinding away, doing his thing. Um, We'll see you next time. This one is done, but in case you want another one, here's the links to all the fun from Seiko Smith's Hangtime Run. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com slash Hangtime, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans.